Hey, welcome to Sanctus Young Adults Online, inviting young adults into God's redemptive story. My name is Josh, I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Sanctus Church. I, I hope that these conversations, these discussions, and these teachings will be meaningful and impactful to you. Would you take a second to subscribe and to follow so you never miss any content that we upload. Tonight's talk will give you a very clear picture of the life that Jesus invites us all into. So if you have your Bible with you tonight, if you have a a notepad for taking notes, would you hop into Matthew 5, verse 13 with me? We're going to be in Matthew 5, verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, you are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus. He's talking to a crowd. He's up on the side of a hill. It's a bunch of followers, a bunch of Jewish people. This is what he's saying. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that as we open up your word tonight, that we would hear from you clearly, that we would see the truth of this scripture, that this teaching that was given like just thousands of years ago, that is still relevant today through your Holy Spirit to instruct us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to show us hope, to show us how you've wired us to be, how you've called us to live. So God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak through me tonight. Amen. Hey, I don't know if any of you have ever felt excluded before. Anyone here ever felt like left out? Ever experienced that? Maybe, maybe some of you, uh, hopefully not, but maybe some of you have felt that tonight. Um, so I, I hope not, but that can be a feeling that's really awkward. You can be in a big room and you can kind of feel like, man, I don't, I don't know everyone here. I don't really have a friend here. I kind of feel left out. I feel different. And that can be really challenging. I think, you know, one of the worst times in my life of being left out, I remember I showed up to a youth group for the first time. I didn't know anyone. And I remember just standing there in the corner and that feeling of like, would someone just come say hi to me? I just don't feel like I fit in. And that feeling of being different. We all want a sense of security. We all want a sense of belonging. But what if our desire for belonging actually goes against the way of Jesus? What if our desire for security can actually go against how we are supposed to live as Christians. I mean, what does it even mean to be a Christian? Does it change how we live? I mean, any worldview, does does having any type of belief system change how we live? Being a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist or a Christian or, or someone who just doesn't care or who just doesn't know, does it actually change how we live? Most of us have jobs, we go to school, We have family, we have friends, we watch Netflix, we play sports, we travel. Like, does it really change how we live if we believe a certain thing? Should it change how we live to believe a certain thing? For those of you taking notes, today's talk is called, The World Needs You to Be Different. 
The world needs you to be different. This was the very challenge that the Israelites, God's people, experienced thousands of years ago. In the Old Testament, we read about the Jewish people and their history. And we see multiple examples of what God has called his people to be. And in the same way that we as Christians today can wrestle with the question of, are we supposed to be different than people around us? Should what we believe, should what we orientate our lives around, should that change how we live? That's the same question God's people had thousands of, thousands of years ago. And what God called his people to be was different from the nations around them. But why? Why would he call them to be different? It's to give an example of human flourishing. Back then, it was to give an example of human flourishing amongst a world where women were objects, where children were sacrificed, where where evil and the occult was normal. And God said to his people, I have set you apart to be an example in a broken and in a dark world of how I want you to live, how I desire you to live. Back then, the Jewish people had the law, and there are three parts to the law. There was the cleansing law, there was the moral law, and there's the ceremonial law. And in the moral law, some of you guys would know that as the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, what we see is that Moses, he was a leader for the Jewish people. He goes up on a mountain, and God gives him these commands. And what these commands really, in essence, were to do was to say to the people, this is how you are to be different from those around you, from the nations around you. You will not murder people. You will not commit adultery. You will not worship all these other gods. You are to be different, set apart. So then we fast forward 13,000 years from that point, and we see Jesus, sometimes called the greater Moses. And he's up on a mountain again, and he's speaking to the Jewish people with the exact same message. You are called to be different. You're called to be different from the world. Last week, Ben started us off in the Sermon on the Mount on a section called the Beatitudes. And he focused specifically on what it looks like to be uh, poor in spirit. But there's a lot of different parts of the Beatitudes, and essentially what the whole Beatitudes together mean is that they are a call of how to live as a Christian, how we are supposed to be different. They are essentially an example of what God is calling us to be as Christians. So when we look at the, the Beatitudes, it tells us what the Christian should be, but now in today's teaching, we are looking at how this should manifest. So if we are to live this way, then how does that change? What should our relationship as Christians be to this world? The Beatitudes are to create us to be a certain type of people in order so that we can be what we read about today, which is salt and light. So this section really, it's the climactic conclusion to the Beatitudes. See, what happened here is Jesus knew that the people would be too tempted to take the Beatitudes and just make it all about self-improvement, to just make it all about law. How How do I be a good person? How do I just become better? How do I be the most merciful? How do I be the most you know, hungering and and thirsting for righteousness of all the other people. But Jesus knew that they would keep it inward, but he wanted them to take it outward. Because Jesus wasn't just giving a teaching for the people there that day so that they could be better, but he was actually unleashing a worldwide movement. He was bringing in, he was ushering the new kingdom. So when he ushered in that new kingdom, he needed ambassadors for the kingdom who would take out that message to the world and to show them a new way of living, a new way of human flourishing amongst a broken world. So he gave two metaphors that we're going to look at today. The first one 
is of salt. And anytime you see something in scripture like this, you have to ask the question, not just what does salt mean to me, but what does salt mean to the people when they heard this? What, what would that have meant to them at the time? So what we see is that when Jesus is calling them salt, he's referencing a product that meant something very different back then than it does today. See, back then they didn't have electricity, they didn't have fridges, they didn't have ways to make things cold. So the primary use of salt was to preserve things. Salt was used on meat to keep it from going bad, to, to stop it from growing bacteria. It was a preservative. So if you're taking notes, the very first thing that salt is, is salt is used to prevent decay. Salt is used to prevent decay, but what is decaying? If we're salt, what are we preserving? Well, what we see here is that the world is decaying. We read throughout scripture that actually it is groaning in pain since the fall. Since darkness has entered this world, the world cries out. And this can be hard for us, I think, because we like to live in this mindset of things are always getting better. That things are always improving, that as we become more educated, that we make improvements in healthcare, as we, you know, become smarter, as we make technological advances, and the world is just up and to the right, and it's all going to get better. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that that isn't true. You know, in the Renaissance times, in the Enlightenment periods, they always thought that eventually the humans would just level up to this point where we live in a utopia and there'd be no issues. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's some issues in the world still. There's issues that they didn't see back then that have been created. New issues come. As we make progress in one way, we make problems in the other. The world, unfortunately, is a state of brokenness and of decay. So as Christians, what Jesus is saying here is that we are to preserve the world. We're not actually going to make it better, unfortunately. But we are called to preserve it. We're called to preserve it until Jesus returns to make a new earth. So what does it mean for us to actually preserve the world? Well, in one area, if you think about the environment, just practically, we are given this world to steward. If you think about the Genesis account, we should, as Christians, care about pollution. We should care about animals going extinct. We actually should care about the world not crumbling. We should care practically in the day-to-day -day about things like slavery. We should care about bullying. We should care about corruption and issues that we see in the world. We should fight against these things to preserve the things in this world that are good. You know, the, the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, they were Christians. And right now, there's 2.1 million members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what's incredible is that that is a preservative. That is preventing the world. That's preventing people from wrecking their lives from marriages and families being torn apart. What a beautiful way to preserve this world. It's Christians making a difference. You know, for us, we could make a difference, like I said, in areas of bullying. It, we can make a difference in areas like pornography where it's just rampant these days and actually standing up against it and actually telling our friends that it's not a good idea, that's not good for their health, it's not good for their soul. It's a way to preserve this world. The second thing that salt is good for is, is that's to provide savor. It's to bring out the good in things, to enhance the taste. So for us to be salt in this world means for us to bring out the good in this world. 
don't know about you, but even though we are in a broken, decaying world, there's still a lot of good. This might be in areas of art and beauty, of music. It could be in areas of, of business, in your career. Think about human relationships. Think about how broken marriages are. But what if we could set an example as kingdom bearers of a new way of living, of a new way of doing relationships and friendships and community and marriage? Our lives should bring out the good in this world. Just a question for reflection. Would you be considered a negative person or a positive person? Are you known as someone who stresses people out or brings joy to their life? Third thing, salt creates thirst. If you've ever had movie theater popcorn or a salty snack, you know how good it is when you have that good cold drink afterwards, eh? In the same way, our lives as Christians should create thirst. If we are actually living in a way that we believe God has told us is a better way to live, then it should create a desire from other people to be like, man, what are they doing? How do they have so much hope? How do they have so much joy? What's that about? I want some of that. You know, an area where I think this can really happen is, like I said, in the area of marriage. I've seen as younger couples who come from broken families look to older couples who have amazing faithful marriages They desire that so badly, whether they're Christian or not. I know so many people just desiring, I don't have a marriage like that one day. What does that look like to get there? I think as Christians, an area that we could definitely improve in, and this would be such a testimony to the world, is in the areas of rest and Sabbath. Why do we need to run around like we're crazy and be stressed out all the time? We have a God who called us to rest to take peace in him, to not be striving, to trust that he's going to provide for us. What would it look like for us to practice that kind of living? As people are burning out, as people are stressing out, as people are just anxious all the time, that they can look to our lives and be like, man, what's it about? You're just chilling, reading books, drinking coffee? Like, what's this about? Why is your attitude so different? Our lives should create thirst. So when Jesus called us salt, those are the three things that he was referencing, that we are to prevent decay, to provide savor, and to create thirst. So you might be wondering, okay, so what are we going to do as the church then to help make this happen? How are we going to be salt as the church? We, we surely should be fighting against, you know, bad things like, a, like abortion, and we should be um, against stuff that's not good for this world. We should speak out about drugs and all that. But what Jesus is giving here is a call to an individual way of living. He's actually calling us to individually pursue this more than we are supposed to as an institution or an organized church. To be called salt is an individual way of living. This actually isn't for our church to go and do. So it's not actually for our church to go get involved in politics or economics or international affairs, but it's through our individual spheres that we actually see life change. See, it's our presence as Christians that creates change. Not us arguing, not us picketing, not us debating, not us getting on Facebook and Instagram and letting people know what we think. People aren't going to follow the ways of Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus. That's not how we create change in this world. People need to encounter Jesus first. See, the role of the church is to evangelize and preach the gospel. That's it. 
So if the church is supposed to evangelize and preach the gospel, if it gets involved in politics or anything that's divisive, then what happens is that whole groups of people start being alienated. And the church can't do what it's supposed to do, which is reach all people, no matter what they believe. I love how a theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, put it. He said, if the church is always denouncing one particular section of society, she is shutting the evangelistic door upon that section. He also went on to say that the church is to be concerned about sin in all of its manifestations. It can be as as terrible in a capitalist, as a communist, a rich man, as a poor man. So this call to be salt, to impact society for the better, it's not done through the church fighting in the halls of government, but it's by individual lives being transformed to follow Jesus. If we want to change this world, we need more Christians and more Christians who are actual salt. That's how we create change in this world. You know, when slavery was abolished in England, it was done by a man named William Wilberforce. And he was a politician, and he worked in government, and what happened to him was that he encountered Jesus. It transformed his life. It transformed the way he saw the world, and he decided that things needed to change. And from his position of influence, he was able to start making that happen. So in the same way, if we want to see renewal and revival, if we want to see lives transformed, if we want to see culture changed, That happens by us reaching other people with the good news of Jesus. Not by us picketing, not by us being keyboard warriors. Maybe what we need to do more of is sitting down with people that we don't agree with. Having coffee. Having them over to our house for dinner. You know, Jesus, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but he spent his last meal with the man he knew he would be betrayed by. Do we eat with our enemies? Or do we try and convince them to think otherwise online? You know, another thing that I want us to think about before we hop into the second metaphor is that think about who Jesus said this all to. You know, Jesus, he said this line, he said, you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And actually, when we look at the original language, what that phrasing of you means is actually you and you alone. It's an exclusive claim. But what's crazy is that he was saying you and you alone are the salt and the light of this world to a bunch of random, lower-class, rural Jews. He wasn't in Rome. He wasn't in this cultural center. He said this to a bunch of nobodies. But he said you are the salt and the light of the earth. In a lot of ways, this is scandalous. But I think it reveals the heart of God. We read in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he says, his power is made perfect in our weakness. I think what this means is that the true power of God is seen by taking fishermen and launching a worldwide movement through them. So then what does that say about how we are to think of ourselves as light and salt in this world? Well, I think the first thing is that we have to remember that we're not doing this on our own. It's not about popularity. It's not about intellect. It's not about good ideas or social justice or debates. But it's only through the power of God. And, and if you remember, you know, Jesus says here that you are the light of the world. But who also said that? Jesus about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. So how does that work? It's because when Jesus through the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, if you are a follower of Jesus, then he actually makes you a reflector of who he is to others. So the only way that you can be the light of the world is to have Jesus in you. To have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So light, what's this metaphor mean? 
Well, I think the first question that I had when I read this was, why did Jesus give two metaphors? They're obviously not saying the exact same thing because he already said salt. So, so what's different about light? And, and what's up with the order? Does the order matter? And, and here's what it means. The salt is what we are. The light is what we do. We see this throughout the Bible. We see that it always considers in Scripture that what the Christian is before what the Christian does. We see that Jesus, he changed Simon's name to Peter. For this very reason, it's because our identities always precede our callings and mission. Our identity comes first. So let me explain it this way. The salt is what we are, and this causes a general effect. But then the light is what we do, and that has a specific effect. Like, think of it this way. If, if you're joyful, if you're someone who just makes the team better, if you live a life of radical hospitality, if you're someone who people just go, man, like, something just seems different about you, then that's being salt. But then there's also the specific effects of lights where we share the gospel with people, where we pray for hurting people, where we speak out against evil and darkness. Being salt is what we are in the essence, but being light is what we intentionally go and do. So that's why tonight we need to be both salt and light, not just one. I think something that we can be guilty of sometimes is trying to proclaim the gospel, trying to be light without actually being salt ourselves. You know, we see James says that faith without works is dead. It'd be like if I was trying to convince you that CrossFit was just the most amazing thing that had ever happened in this world, and then you asked me where I went to do CrossFit, and I said I didn't do CrossFit. Why would that be a convincing argument that you should then go do CrossFit? We can't do light without being salt. We have to remember that we are something before we act as something. So the metaphor of light, there's three things that we need to know. The first is that light exposes darkness. So we have to acknowledge that this metaphor then infers that this world is in a state of darkness. That without Jesus, we are living in a state of darkness. So what is this dark, darkness? Aren't we enlightened? Don't, don't, aren't we smarter, more advanced than ever? Don't we understand how this world works? How is there darkness? But we have to acknowledge that. I think one of the, the failures of our current moment is that we might have a lot of knowledge, we might have a lot of expertise, but we don't actually know what to do with it. We're not actually that wise. I, I think that we see this in Scripture, actually, where it says that because the world is in darkness, in 1 Corinthians it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. And elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Meaning the message of the cross seems foolish to a dark world. Also meaning that the wisdom of this world is not enough to save us. For whatever reason, God decided to flip that upside down. So we need to know that we are in need of saving. That this world is dark. And that we are here to bring light to that darkness. That's what God's called us to do. The second thing to know about light is that light explains the cause of darkness. And this is so important for us to be very clear with in how we live. The, the cause of darkness is estrangement from God. That's why there's darkness in this world is because we are separated from God. 
In John 3.19, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So what that's saying is that we might even know what's good. We might even know what is light, but we still choose evil. Why? Because we like it. Because we're driven by our passions and our lusts. But only through Jesus can we be made pure and whole. So we might even know what's dark. We might even know what we shouldn't do, but we still do it. Light explains that the cause of that is estrangement from God. The third thing about light is that light provides a way out of darkness. Essentially, there's hope. There's hope to get out of darkness. And that is union with God. That is inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us. In Ephesians 5a, it says, For once, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So God in flesh, Jesus, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to provide a way out of this darkness. To himself be light, and then to make us image bearers for him, to call other people out of darkness as well. So when we think about salt and light, that's all great, but, but why should we care? Why do we have to live this way? Like, like the Beatitudes, I like those. Those are great. It called us to be humble, to be merciful. That all sounds like a great way to live. Why do we have to go out and do the hard work of talking with other people who are different than us and, and dealing with people disagreeing with us? And what's all that about? Why do we have to be salt and light? Three reasons. The most basic one is that because we were made to be. It's, it's that simple. In the metaphor, what's kind of ironic is in the metaphor, salt is meant to be used to be salt, and light is meant to be light. It's their essence. It's their purpose. There's nothing else. Because they were meant to be. So as Christians, we were made to be salt and light. Jesus is declaring that as you were made to be salt and light. So there's no question about whether it's a good idea. We were meant to be. It's what we were made for. The second thing about this is that our decision to become a Christian is not only contradictory, but I loved how one theologian put it, it's ridiculous to be a Christian and not actually act as salt and light. Two things in here. First is, if you are a Christian, it can't be hid. That's what it's saying in the verse when it's talking about, like, the idea of putting a, a light under a bowl in a house. Like, you wouldn't do that. That's silly. You put the light on for a reason. In the same way, if we are Christians, we can't hide it. We're so in love with Jesus that we can't change it. It'd be like, for example, me getting married to my wife, Janae, but then not wanting anyone to know that we were married. That wouldn't make sense. So I guess the question would be is, are you trying to hide your Christianness? Are you ashamed of Jesus? What Jesus is saying here is that if you've experienced him, then you should want other people to know. You should want to be salt and light. You shouldn't want to hide it. Third reason here of why we should be salt and light. Again, as a theologian put it, so you're not as offended when I say it, we're useless if we're not. He says that it's literally silly to be a Christian and not be salt and light. It's we're useless. There's no secondary purpose. It, it says in the verse that what, is, what good is salt when it loses its saltiness? It's useless just to be thrown out. I think when we think about the use of salt, Think about how destructive salt is when used in certain ways. When we throw salt on the road, 
It wrecks our vehicles. In the same way, when, when Christians try to be salt, but aren't, it can become destructive. To not truly be the salt that Jesus calls us to can actually make us destructive. We can actually hurt people. We can actually corrode things. Again, on this idea of us being useless is that in, we see this in Revelations 2 when Jesus, he's speaking to another church. And he says that you're no, no longer hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And being lukewarm makes you useless. In the same way to be a Christian, but to not be salt and light is to make you useless. It's no good to live that way. It's actually contradictory. I love how one guy is reading how he unpacked it. He said, the issue with living as a so-called Christian, but then not being salt and light, is that you know enough about Christianity that you can't enjoy the pleasures of this world, but you don't know enough about Christianity to enjoy the pleasures of life with God. You actually spoil both. He's basically saying you might as well not be a Christian, just go enjoy the pleasures of this life, if you're not going to know the pleasures of life with God enough to actually enjoy it. You can't be in the middle. You can't be lukewarm. Now, one thing I do want to clarify is that when it talks about salt losing its saltiness, that's not about salvation, just so you know. But it's about impact. Meaning that if you're a Christian, what's your impact? Are you being salt to other people? So these metaphors of salt and light, that's what Jesus has called us to. And they both communicate the same idea in many ways that we are to be different that we are to show people the new kingdom that Jesus has brought in, that his vision of a new community on earth is here. Lastly, we have to do this for the right reasons. If we're going to be salt and light, we have to do it for the right reasons. We see Jesus here say, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So some of us, we might want to walk away from this message and try and be salt and light for the sake of being a good Christian or for the sake of, you know, earning points with God or for the sake of a religious or a legalistic type duty or obligation that we feel. But that's not what we're supposed to do. The motivation is that people would experience God through us. So that people would see how we live and that would turn them towards the Father. Does the way you live point people towards Jesus? Where are you pointing people with your life? Can I encourage you that to be salt and light, that's what we were made for. I don't know if you've ever just been in the sweet spot doing something before, where you're just like, man, like this is just what I was made for, where you've just really felt comfortable doing something, like you're good at something, you've just enjoyed it. When it comes to Christian living, we were made to be salt and light. There's actually a flow zone there. There's actually an experience of joy as we live this way because we were made to live this way. So how do we do this? How do we live as salt and light? You know, some of you tonight, maybe you just feel like, man, like I'm just not living that way. I'm not being salt and light. Maybe you're living a double life and you come to church and you live a certain way at church or around certain friends, you act a certain way, but you go to work or you go to school on the weekend, whatever you do, and you're acting a different way. You're not being salt and light. You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. Maybe you just don't want to. Maybe you want the benefits of both. I think the question that we need to ask ourselves tonight is, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I actually a reflector of Jesus? Is Jesus actually in me so that I can be light? 
to this world? How do we be salt and light? I think the question to end with here for us is, what's our power source? That's what it's all about. What's our power source? You know, some of you, you might be like, man, I'm a Christian, but I just don't feel like I'm making a difference with how I'm living. I just don't feel like I know how to live in such a way that people encounter Jesus. Are you living on your own power? Are you living on the power of the Spirit? You know, sometimes as Christians, we can become Christians, but we can actually continue to rely on our own strength. And we continue to do things in our own wisdom or in the way that we desire instead of actually relying on the Holy Spirit to be our fuel. In this message, there's the imagery of the lamp. And I want to just give this for us to understand this. In a lamp, there's two parts that make it burn. The first is there's a wick, and the second is that there's oil. And in this illustration, we are the wick. And what, a wick, what happens with a wick is that as a wick burns, it starts to get longer, and eventually as it gets longer, it starts to dampen the light. The flame begins to dampen, so you have to trim it. As you trim a wick and keep it shorter, then it actually burns brighter. So in the same way, the Beatitudes are the trimming to us as wicks. They're actually to shape us and form us to develop our character, our spiritual formation. So maybe for some of you, you've been Christians for a long time, but you haven't done any trimming recently. You haven't actually been looking at your character. You haven't actually invited in godly accountability. You haven't actually asked other people to walk with you, to disciple you. Maybe you haven't been spending time in God's word or in prayer, and you're not being shaped as a person. So your light's beginning to dim. The other part of a lamp that is needed is oil. So you can have a wick, but without oil, it won't burn. And the oil here is the Holy Spirit. We read in Scripture that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, but we also read that we are continually to be asked to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So we need a continual filling of the Spirit in our lives if we are to transform lives. So maybe for some of us, we just aren't filled with the Spirit. We aren't being filled continually. We're not going back. So maybe tonight, that would be a question for you to bring before God is, God, can I just be filled more by your Spirit? So where does our power come from? Dallas Willard, he's a a great Christian author and theologian. He wrote this beautiful story that I just want to read for us here. He said this. He said, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. But in my senior year of high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to the households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, like daylight and dark and hot and cold and clean and dirty and work and leisure and preparing food and preserving it, they could all be vastly changed for the better because of electricity. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements and understand them and take the practical steps involved in relying on them. This will help us understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven if we reflect on those farmers who in effect heard the message, repent, meaning turn, change your ways, for electricity is at hand. 
Turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and your cellars and your scrub boards and your rug beaters and your radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them. Whereby making a relatively simple arrangement, they could utilize that power. But strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others thought they couldn't afford to change, or so they thought. So for us tonight, have we entered the kingdom? Are we a citizen of the kingdom of God? If you want to know how to flourish in this life, Jesus is giving us a blueprint here in the Sermon on the Mount of how to live for human flourishing. So have we turned to any power source that's not the Holy Spirit? Maybe we've actually turned to a power source, whether it's our schooling, our work, a relationship, a family member, books, podcasts. Something else is being our power source instead of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can't be salt and light in this world. So are you ready to live different? Because the world needs people who are living different right now. I'm going to pray and then Pastor Ben's going to come up to, to lead us. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us to a new way of living. That you've called us to be different. And even though it can be uncomfortable and it can be hard to be different, God, I thank you that you promise us a new way of living, a new way of flourishing in this life. That you give us hope in darkness. That you call us to live out a life that brings out the good in this world. God, I thank you that we don't have to be the power source ourselves, but it's actually your spirit that empowers us. That's your light that lives in us. So God, I pray that for any of us here who aren't connected to your power source, they're trying to do it on our own, who maybe haven't even encountered you ever before. God, I pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that we can. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, if you found this valuable, would you consider sharing it with a friend that you think would benefit from it? Be sure to follow and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'd love if you left a review because that helps other people discover this content. If you're looking for more information on Sanctus Young Adults, check us out on Instagram, on YouTube, or through our website. Have a great rest of your day.